Happy National Chocolate Day, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, where each week we meet with just enough snarkiness to screw up your machine learning algorithm. I am your host, Tom Hollingsworth, and joining me this week is the most intelligent, non-artificial person that I know, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. It's uh, great to be here as always, and I'm going to take that as a compliment because I'm actually not sure what you meant by that. Oh, you're, you should absolutely take it as a compliment because I was thinking uh, more like robot, um, although you are not a robot, are you? No, no, I'm not a droid, um, though I kind of wish I was IG-11. So, um, hey, Tom, let's get started with the news of the week, huh? Um, so Zoom announced that they're uh, rolling out end-to-end -end encryption uh, as a technical preview for all paid and free Zoom customers. Uh, this offering is built on technology acquired by from Keybase, which is something that I personally loved um, earlier this year. It was originally slated to be only offered to paying customers, but outcry from the community made Zoom uh, make it available for everyone. Uh, the feature must be enabled by all participants and is currently disabled in some features, uh, such as live transcription. Um, Zoom is going to take this, uh, roll it out in the next 30 days to get feedback and figure out how it's going. Tom, um, Zoom is finally encrypting calls. Do we call this news? Well, here's the thing. I think we need to call this news for everyone that was hating on Zoom. What was it, three months ago that they didn't have any end-to-end -end encryption? And, and it was a big deal. And there was this giant windmill out in the, the distance and we were charging at it. And then Zoom was like, okay, we're going to buy a company and, and put end-to-end -end in. And now nobody cares. You know why? Because it's not that big of a deal. I mean, yeah, calls are end-to-end -end encrypted. What does that mean? We broke transcription. Uh, got news for you. If you think the government is listening in on your phone calls when you're trying to trade, uh, you know, pecan pie recipes with your grandmother over Zoom, you probably have bigger problems to worry about, and they involve a psychiatrist. This is news because I'm glad that Zoom is finally doing it. It's not news the way that we thought it was going to be news three months ago. Well, I'm going to say the news, um, frankly, is that I miss Keybase. Um, I was one of like 12 people that used it, and I really enjoyed it, and I loved the idea of it. And um, Zoom ate it, and it makes me sad. Yeah, but you know, maybe maybe the ghost of Keybase will live on and, and kind of help us out here. Um, Stephen, do you ever feel like time is not really on your side? Um, I would think that if you're dealing with daylight savings time issues, which here in the U.S. we will be doing very, very shortly, it, it probably isn't. And uh, if you're in Israel, you probably have already had to deal with something a little less fun. Um, over the weekend, they switched their clocks from daylight savings time, uh, which you know some people call summertime, to winter time, which is more akin to standard time, which happens this coming Sunday in the US. However, the switch caused a little bit of a problem in some of the NetApp storage arrays in the country. Uh, several government agencies and universities found that their NetApp storage arrays went offline because of the time change. Now, the problem is, is that when you have a storage array that runs most of your virtualized servers, guess what the next thing to crash is? The servers. Uh, NetApp was immediately responsive and was able to patch the systems and fix the small little bug in the daylight savings time issue. However, those servers were offline for a few hours before people were able to get them back. Uh, Stephen, is DST causing arrays to be DOA news or not? Well, um, I think that the news here is not uh, NetApp or even Israel. I think the news is quite simply that 
our time systems that are optimized for human beings are really, really bad for computers. Uh, the best tweet I read about this, somebody said, uh, you know, if you want to give any programmer nightmares, just mention daylight savings time. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. Um, you know, it reminds me honestly of like the GPS rollover issues. I wrote about some of that stuff in my blog. Um, you know, like my car uh, had the wrong time on the dashboard clock for about eight years um, because of a GPS rollover bug that just solved itself because the uh, overflow unoverflowed when it rolled over again. It's like what? Um, I mean, I I think the news here is is frankly that. Um, you know, having computers use uh, local time is stupid. Let's just set everything to UTC and be done with it. No savings time, no nothing. I agree. And just so you know, uh, in a throwback, I have all the clocks on my computers blinking 12, just like my VCR used to do. I uh, can't endorse that, Tom. I'm actually uh, fanatical about setting my clocks correctly. Um, because, you know, anyway, um, moving on, moving on. Um, Extreme Networks, Tom. Uh, Extreme has announced a new feature in their Enterprise uh, Wireless Intrusion Prevention System, or IPS. On top of existing Wi-Fi intrusion, they are now adding Bluetooth low energy detection to the platform. Uh, with the rapid growth of IoT devices in the enterprise, uh, the ability to monitor BLE signals for signs of attack was just a matter of time. Tom, is Extreme making news by this? Uh, are they first to market? I think they are first to market, and I think that this is news because they're starting to realize that the explosion of devices that are going to be using Spectrum is not going to be coming from iPhones and laptops. It's going to be coming from insulin pumps and uh, manufacturing system monitors and things like that. And those don't always run over Wi-Fi. I mean, even around your house, think about the number of things that you have like, oh, I don't know, this Ember coffee mug that only communicate via Bluetooth. Um, I'm not saying that Bluetooth is a massive entry point, but if you can get a Bluetooth enabled wireless device onto somebody's network, you can do a lot of recon work. And that's not something that people were looking for before. And if you think that that's not news, remember that for about four and a half months, a few years ago, everybody was trying to build Google Glass detection into their wireless intrusion prevention systems. And we see where that went. So I'm going to bet more on the fact that Extreme is making news, and I'm curious to see where people are going to follow along with this. Yeah, not to make this an ad or anything, but um, <laughs> anyway, um, you know, the point is uh, there's a lot of Bluetooth out there, a lot of BLE now. In fact, more and more, I guess maybe eventually Apple might release their AirTags. Um, and there's other things, too. I know that in the wireless space, you've got some, a lot of interest in Zigbee and Z-Wave. Um, you know, I'm personally a Z-Wave user. There's Z-Wave um, right around my head right now. That's why I've got this tinfoil hat here. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that there, it, it is time for vendors to add more and more and more coverage here to check for intrusion. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think that this is, I mean, I'm glad Extreme is doing it and I'd like to see everybody add more and more. I mean, I think that the angle here is that this is specifically BLE, but um, how about everything else? Um, I'm, I'm for it. Yeah, one step in the right direction.
So uh, speaking of finding things you may not have known were there, uh, Intel launched a new cloud platform this week, Geospatial. Uh, it came out yesterday and slipped underneath the radar just a little bit. Uh, it's a very specific cloud designed to provide tools for geovisual workloads, such as 2D and 3D images of important parts of our world. The press release cited some ex interesting examples, including being able to manage things like networking assets after uh, massive storms, or of course, my favorite uh, AI workload thing, uh, predicting the weather, which we still haven't been able to get right in the last 70 years. But uh, they're also looking at doing extended modeling for other kinds of natural systems over time. Um, Intel isn't the first company that has launched a geospatial cloud platform. I think a lot of other companies have kind of tagged it on uh, to some of the other things they're doing. But Intel is really trying to make a splash by focusing on the fact that this is a very platform-specific cloud, and they're targeting some very interesting industries with it. Now, Stephen, you are our AI expert here at Gestalt IT. Is Intel launching a specialized cloud platform to work on these workloads, something that you think is newsworthy? Um, honestly, I think the newsworthy angle here is that Intel is launching an as a service cloud. Um, I mean, think about it. This thing, uh, so set aside geospatial, this thing competes with Google, with Microsoft, with Amazon, and of course with the geospatial uh, giant here technologies, which you've probably never used or heard of, but you use all the time because here is everywhere. Here is, anyway, um, I think that this is really interesting. So Intel is basically adding their own cloud um, to the mix. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, pretty, I wonder if that's a sign of, of things to come from Intel or if this is just gonna be another one of their many exciting diversions into uh, areas that they then divest. Um, I don't know, we'll see. Um, as far as like the impact of this thing specifically, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, we, I guess it depends on who's going to use it. Um, I think for me, the thing that I was thinking of is um, basically drones because geospatial, um, you know, this thing could be used as a uh, basically a highway in the sky for drone planes and drone deliveries and things like that. Um, I think that would be pretty neat. Um, and of course, all the academics. I mean, I, I, academics love GIS. Yeah, exactly. And the more information you can feed into those things, the better your algorithms get. And like I said, Stephen is our resident AI expert. And if you want to hear some of his more interesting thoughts on AI, you can check out his Utilizing AI podcast that he has coming out on a regular basis. Uh, Stephen, if people want to follow you at Utilizing AI, where's the best place to find the latest episode? Yeah, just go to utilizing-ai.com. And every time somebody subscribes, another robot gets his brain. And uh, we welcome our new Utilizing AI Robot Overlords. All right, that should just about do it for our news roundup. Let's dive into some of these uh, meatier topics that we have here. Um, we're going to have to give ourselves a little bit of a pat on the back because we called it two weeks ago. That's some help from friends in the industry. Um, AMD is going to officially buy Xilinx for $35 billion. Uh, the deal, which is being immediately positioned in AMD's financial investor releases as important to the bottom line, uh, is really trying to get AMD to be a leader in the high-performance computing market. Um, the all-stock deal, which was kind of a shock to me, creates a very big AMD that has a lot of fingers in just about any kind of chip that you can imagine, from CPUs to FPGAs to SOCs. 
Now, Stephen, we talked about this a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago when it was kind of in the rumor mill and we weren't sure how this was going to work out, but there's a lot more details that have come out about this. And it looks like AMD is trying to blast this to the rooftops for everybody to see how important this is to them. What's your take on it now? Well, uh, you know, my take on the acquisition hasn't really changed. And let me just sum up in case you're not a weekly rundown listener. Essentially, this deal makes no sense whatsoever. Um, you know, Xilinx is not a bad company. Um, they make good stuff. Uh, FPGAs are cool. Uh, Xilinx makes money. Um, they're a strong uh, part of the market. Um, but I just don't get it from an AMD standpoint. So, Let's, let's think about this. So a few years ago, um, Intel bought a company called Altera. Altera was the main competitor in the FPGA market with a company called Xilinx. And Intel bought Altera and they um, have now um, pulled Altera into their, uh, you know, basically they've tried to roll this technology out in the data center. Um, they've tried to roll it out in AI, and they recently actually added um, a couple of SmartNICs to the uh, SmartNIC circus that we probably should be talking about more. Um, and one of those SmartNICs uses Xeon, but the other one uses an Altera-based FPGA. Um, none of these products are tremendously successful. Uh, not that they're unsuccessful, mind you. They're fine. They're just not setting the world on fire. This is a niche uh, market, and um, and Intel just hasn't really executed on that acquisition too strongly. I mean, essentially, they, you know, it, it reminds me of some of the other markets that Intel has been in and gotten out of. You know, things like you know NAND Flash, which they just ditched, um, you know, last week. Um, so having AMD buy into this just leaves me scratching my head. I mean, Intel has not transitioned um, FPGA into a data center product or a consumer product or an AI product or a networking and connectivity product. What they've done is they've, you know, moderately sold some FPGAs. So what is AMD going to do with Xilinx? I mean, Xilinx is a strong company. They're the other big FPGA company. And this gives AMD an answer to Intel's uh, FPGA question. But it's still a question. Um, you know, even, you know, you look at the financial analysis of this thing. I mean, it was a fair enough price. Um, you know, AMD had the money. It's an all stock transaction. So it doesn't kind of really make any difference. Um, you know, you've got to trust, uh, you know, that, that uh, Lisa Su, who's the CEO of AMD, um, she's been a freaking genius. And she has driven that company to new heights in the last few years, you know, you kind of have to trust that she has a plan here. But frankly, nobody that I'm talking to understands this plan. Um, the only asterisk I'm going to put on this, and I'm going to put this at the end of this discussion, is, as I mentioned at the beginning, Intel recently rolled out a SmartNIC which, uh, with an FPGA on it. And a lot of the uh, market was kind of like, what? Well, the reason that you put an FPGA on a SmartNIC is because it's programmable. You can basically make that chip do whatever you want. And some of the folks are looking at that and thinking, aha, so Intel may not be able to field an ARM-based SmartNIC like Pensando or you know, a real competitor to some of the things that we're seeing from like Fungible or Nebulon or you know Mellanox, which is now maybe uh, or now part of NVIDIA. Sorry, it, it is part of NVIDIA. Anyway, um, Intel, you know that FPGA can be programmed to be an ARM chip, 
and then it can run the same stuff. It can pro be programmed to be like a P4 ASIC like Pensando is using. Um, and of course, Intel also has barefoot. So I could see that making some sense. And if that makes sense, then AMD having Xilinx might make sense if AMD also has Pensando, Nebulon, or Fungible. So I am looking forward to another acquisition here, and I'm going to call Pensando. AMD buys Pensando in the next six months. All right, we're going to put that in the big board of uh, acquisition rumors from Stephen. I, I think your analysis is absolutely right. And I think the difference is, is kind of going back to the story that we put up a little bit earlier about Intel's uh, creating a cloud platform. Um, Intel has, has drained their chip well dry. And they don't think that they can make money off of chips anymore, especially after some of the issues that they've had with their process uh, changeovers and, and like you said, their issues with the Altera FPGA uh, situation. So they're going to try to diversify. I think AMD is doubling down. If it's a chip, we're going to try to use it. If, we're, if we can put it in something to make it run, we're going to do that. And I think, ironically enough, if you remember, AMD bought ATI, the graphics card maker. And what was a ATI's biggest competitor for all those years? NVIDIA. And if you look at the moves that AMD is making, they're shadowing moves that NVIDIA is making in the market to double down on chips as well. So I think that ATI and AMD together, along with Xilinx and, and the other chip companies, like you said, maybe Pensando, um, they're going to try to reassert the dominance of hardware, but as a programmable resource. And I, I'm very interested to see where that kind of shakes out. Yeah, I, I think we'll we'll see, um, but it is shaping up that we're going to be looking at a, a a three horse race for dominance of the core semiconductor industry, and that would be Nvidia, AMD, and Intel. Turning the page, Tom. Um, last week we brought up the news that the U.S. Department of Justice filed a lawsuit against Google. Um, there have been many investigations into the monopolistic behavior of the tech titan over the over the years, um, but. Uh, this appears to be a new approach. The DOJ is arguing that Google has violated antitrust laws by signing exclusivity agreements with mobile companies like Apple and service providers like AT&T to make them the default search engine. The DOJ alleges that this behavior shuts out competition and stifles the market. The response from Google on their blog basically says that customers have all the choice in the world to click away from Google and use whatever they want. Um, Tom, is this the case uh, that's finally going to topple the Google empire, or are they going to hammer the U.S. government uh, for this stretch? Oh, man. I know you guys covered this last week, but I really wanted to jump in with some thoughts on it, um, simply because I think the DOJ has screwed up here. When you look at all the other lawsuits that are going on, including one in the European Union right now, they were very specific about what they wanted to attack. Uh, I believe the, the European Union one is over Google Shopping. And most people that are looking at that case are saying, yeah, Google really screwed this one up. But uh, there was a great article from, uh, from Ben over at Stratechery that we'll launch uh, or we'll link into the, uh, the show notes. And his analysis is essentially, what the hell are you thinking, man? Because this, this, doesn't, this doesn't jive right. And here's the reason why. When you look at maybe some you know, kind of antitrust, anti-competitive things that revolve around other stuff, like let's just say, for example, there was one cell phone company in the US. Uh, we'll just use Verizon, for example. Um, if Verizon can charge you whatever they want for a cell phone because you have no other options to get a cell phone, that's monopolistic behavior. That's a trust. You don't get that with something like a gas station. Like the nearest gas station to my house is a 7-Eleven. 
Just because there's a 7-Eleven closest to my house does not mean that it's the only place that I can get gas. I can go somewhere else and get it if it's cheaper, uh, if it's on the way to a place that I'm going, if I like the drinks that they have at the other gas station. I have a variety of reasons for wanting to do that. Claiming that defaulting Google as your search engine out of the box is an antitrust behavior is just a stretch. And here's why. I can change it. I can change it within three seconds. I just go in, find the setting, change it to, you know, Bing or DuckDuckGo or, I mean, is Ask Jeeves still around? So this is trying to make headlines that you're you're fighting back against Google. You're, you're teaching these tech people that, that we're not going to put up with it. And if you don't think that trying to wag this dog is a big political thing, go to the favorite search engine of your choice and search for the term wag the dog. And you'll find out that occasionally political people like to do stuff that has no hope of succeeding just to make it look like they're doing something. I think the Department of Justice is going to lose. I think they're going to lose big time because all Google has to do is walk in, hand the judge an iPhone and say, go to bing.com. There's your search engine. And then they walk out and they win. And uh, considering the black guy that got out in the Oracle lawsuit, which was a much more technical problem that was pretty clear cut, I think that they're they're spoiling for a fight and I think they're gonna win. Well, uh, on that note, let's just make a point there though, that um, you know, the one of the reasons that Google uh, did not prevail and uh, so far at least in the versus Oracle is because they suck at this. Um, so let's not <laughs> lose sight of the fact that Google's lawyers basically handed that case to Oracle and, um, and, and they might do the same this time. Um, I think Google has never had the corporate, um, uh, they've never, and none of these tech companies really know what they're doing. I mean, they're, we're not talking DuPont and US Steel and you know General Motors here. I mean, these people are clueless when it comes to Washington DC. And I know that um, you know they're trying to do better. I know that you know Apple has tried to suck up to the administration, and Amazon is you know redoubling their presence in Washington and stuff. But they really don't know what they're doing. And um, and I think that they really also don't believe that the government can do anything. And I think they may be surprised. I'm actually going to take the other tack here. I think this is going to go through. I think it's going to going to succeed. And when it does, um, I think that it's actually for good reasons too. So I, I really kind of disagree with almost everything you said. And so we'll see which of us is right and which of us is dead. Um, you know, so essentially, um, you know, being the the default actually is a strong, um, a, a much a much stronger market position than you'd think, even if it is easy to change. I mean, look at the browser wars. And um, you know how many people? Uh, you know your iPhone. Um, DuckDuckGo is in your iPhone. So is Bing, I guess. Um, how many people switched it? I did, but how many other people switched it? Right? I mean, I love DuckDuckGo, but whenever I talk about it, I, there's a lot of what? Um, because people just don't do that. They use the default and the default is what works. Also, it's important to note that Google's really way better than anybody else. Compare the results. And again, I'm, I love DuckDuckGo. Compare the results but between Google and Bing and DuckDuckGo and your favorite search engine from some other planet and Google will always be the best. And that's a really sad state of affairs because it really means that they are not only dominant um, 
they're extending their dominance. Anyway, I think that what's going to happen is that the Department of Justice is going to kick them down, and I think it's going to succeed, and I think a lot of people are going to be really surprised when uh, the government steps in. I don't see a potential Biden administration doing anything different than the Trump administration would do with this case either. And if, if that's your hope, if that's somebody hoping that, you know, oh, well, you know, the Democrats will do different. No, Democrats don't like big companies either. Yeah. So I, I think that there's a different uh, reason behind it. But I think that, uh, you know, overall, I think this case is going to go forward and I think Google's going to lose. Well, we will we will see. I'm sure we will cover this on a future episode of The Rundown. And whoever wins will will send you a case of your favorite whiskey. A case? A case. A uh, case being two bottles, uh, oh. unless I can take out a small loan from the office. All right. Um, let's let's close this out with a story about some of the most exciting and wonderful things that you probably haven't really even heard of unless you're a real server nerd. Now, you probably have heard of containers. You've probably heard of Kubernetes. And the nice thing to know about containers, you know how they're going to take over the world because they are reassuringly complex and hard to do. Uh, the more time you spend with them, the more time you realize you have no idea what you're doing. Kubernetes has become the default orchestration engine for pretty much all containers. And you know that because when most people talk about containers, what they're actually talking about is Kubernetes. Uh, HashiCorp, on the other hand, thinks that they're they're, they're going to try to take this one on. So they released a beta version of Nomad 1.0 this week. It is their version of the container orchestration uh, engine. And basically, here's what they say. They're looking to position Nomad to people who don't need every small, tiny little feature that Google has offered into Kubernetes that makes it so complicated to deploy that you'll never be able to get it working properly. They're just looking for people who want to stand up a few containers, maybe get an application going, and kind of go from there. And that's kind of where they're positioning this tool on, in their platform. And they're wanting people to kind of take a look at it and say, is this enough for you? And if you can get it up and running, and you maybe find out later that you need one of those features in Kubernetes, at least you weren't waiting and reading through documentation for months trying to get things going. Um, the, however, though, they are taking on the 800-pound Tupperware gorilla right now when it comes to Kubernetes and, and Google. And I'm a little bit concerned as to whether or not HashiCorp can pull this off because they do have a lot of products that a lot of people use and a lot of people have implemented. And I mean, when you look at things like Vault and uh, and, and some of their other releases, it's, it's really popular. But Stephen, is Nomad a viable alternative to the behemoth that is Kubernetes? Um, or are we looking at something that's probably just going to fail like every other solution that has tried to unseat the, the incumbent? Yeah, I, I, Tom, I'm going to take um, maybe a controversial stance here and say that Nomad absolutely is a viable contender. And frankly, it might work. Um, if you spend a lot of time in out there in the space with people who are actually implementing, you know, Kubernetes and doing, you know, massive container orchestration, um, you know, it kind of divides into people who are, I don't know, enthusiasts for it. And certainly those folks are getting, um, you know, I mean, they love Kubernetes and they're, you know, getting deep, diving deep into it. And people who are trying to just do the thing. Um, Nomad is loved by the people who are just trying to implement a, um, you know, orchestration management system. I think it's important to note here that HashiCorp probably wouldn't say that Nomad is a competitor for Kubernetes. I think they would say, no, 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 this is a thing. This is a thing we made that allows you to do our container orchestration and um, and that's that, right? It's not supposed to be, you know, knocking Kubernetes off or anything. But, you know, in reality, the market very much does see this as a challenger. 
you know, it reminds me, as you say, um, there have been others, you know, Docker Compose was intended to uh, be a competitor for Kubernetes. And um, frankly, it didn't work because the overall Docker strategy didn't work. Um, but, uh, you know, for whatever reason, but, you know, Nomad really could, you know, people really, really like it. Um, it's easy to use, it's straightforward, and paradoxically, it's more flexible than Kubernetes. Um, you know, Kubernetes is fundamentally um, designed to orchestrate Docker containers. And before anybody throws a Molotov cocktail at me, let me explain. Um, you know, yes, it can use other container engines, but it is designed for Docker containers specifically. Um, you know, Nomad can do other things. Nomad can um, can orchestrate, you know, virtual machines. It can orchestrate other container formats. It's not so tied to Docker. And um, also, you know, it is much, much more friendly and flexible and easy to use, uh, kind of in the, the, the mood of the rest of the HashiCorp uh, products. I think that it's going to succeed. I think it's a good product and I think it's solid. In a way, uh, from my perspective, I look at Nomad more as a competitor to Rancher, which, by the way, now is over at Red Hat. Um, as an easy to use alternative to full on Kubernetes than as a competitor to Kubernetes itself. And I, for one, welcome the comparison of, um, you know, Rancher and Nomad. I think that that would be wonderful. I think we've got two great products. I really love Rancher. And, um, and I really think that this could be uh, a really great uh, opportunity, a great alternative for enterprises uh, instead of trying to stand up a full-on you know, Kubernetes platform. Yeah, I think the biggest question is gonna be, is Nomad designed to get people who aren't using containers using them, or is it trying to take market share away from Kubernetes? If the answer is the former, they're gonna succeed because they will have added to the pool instead of the latter, which is attempting to take customers away from someone that is already using them. Um, but I think that the answer, you know, we, we still have a few more months before we're even going to know what that is. However, before that, if you want to learn a little bit more about things like containers and cloud and all kinds of exciting new technologies, don't forget that Cloud Field Day 9 is coming up November 4th, 5th, and 6th. And you can find more information about that, including who will be presenting at our website at techfieldday.com. So make sure you tune in for that. It's going to be an exciting event. Uh, but that should just about do it for this episode of The Rundown. Thank you very much for tuning in today. We really appreciate your viewership. Uh, if you'd like to see more great episodes like this, make sure you check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo. You can also find us on Facebook. And if you head over there, please leave us a like. We, we appreciate all the thumbs up that we can get. Uh, it helps everybody see who we are out there. Um, also, if you are a fan of maybe the audio version of our rundown, you can always check us out on your favorite podcast application of choice. Just look for Gestalt. IT Rundown. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. And if you want to leave us a like and a review over there, it, it really helps dial in the audience of people who like snarky takes on tech news. And, and we want to get all those people listening that we can. Stephen, if people want to learn a little bit more about some of the stuff that you're working on, where can they go? Well, primarily, um, I'm focused on uh, Tech Field Day. So just go to techfieldday.com. But I'm also, of course, writing on gestaltit.com. And as we mentioned earlier, the I couldn't be prouder of the Utilizing AI podcast. So go to utilizing-ai.com or finding us, find us on Twitter at utilizing underscore AI. You can also find me on Twitter at sfoskett. And there you'll see uh, the whole smorgasbord of things that I'm excited uh, and interested in, including um, building my own cloud with Rancher um, uh, to tie into a story earlier here.
Awesome. And if you want to find some of the stuff that I've been working on, head over to gestaltit.com, uh, search for Tom Hollingsworth, and you can see all the articles that I have published about some of the events that we've been doing, as well as my favorite Tom Versations episodes. Uh, warning, the one that's coming out this week might blow your brain with all of the quantum goodness. All right. So for myself and for Stephen Foskett, we want to thank you for tuning in. And in the words of our great friend, Rich Straffolino, we want to wish each and every one of you a super sparkly day. Goodbye now.